Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. I hope you're well, safe, fighting the good fight, and wearing your mask. I'd say I'm glad to be through the election, but I'm writing this in October, so even though this drops the day after, I still don't know how it's gone, so I'll just keep breathing, and um, you be sure to do the same. We are up to book 10 of the Odyssey. Seriously, I feel like we are blazing through this epic. I don't know why it feels like it's going so much faster than the Iliad. They are exactly the same length, at least as far as the number of books and therefore the number of weeks we'll take to read it are concerned. Um, but I somehow we're already to book 10. Anyway, um, when we last left Odysseus and his crew, they were fleeing the island of the Cyclopes. Okay, I should go back. We really left Odysseus telling the Phaeacians about how he and his crew fed, fled the Cyclopes. Um, but book 10 doesn't pick up with the Phaeacians. It picks up in the middle of Odysseus's story. Odysseus and his men next land on Aeolia, where Aeolus lives. Um, He is the king of the winds. Um, And I I always like picture him being like gassy because wind. Um, Anyway, and he has 12 children, six boys and six girls. And to keep things in the family, he's married his sons to his daughters, which, ew. Um, But they seem cool with it. And the family spends every day partying. Um, Odysseus and his men stay a month so that Aeolus can hear all of the news from Troy. And it takes Odysseus that long to go to all of the detail. Um, He spares none. Yeah. Um, When it is time to leave, Aeolus spares nothing in providing for his guests. And he even gives Odysseus a bag of winds. He warns Odysseus to be very careful with it, and they wedge it under his bench to keep it hidden from his men. And Odysseus very, very carefully just lets out the, the good west wind, and they sail for nine days using using just little bits of that wind from that bag. Um, and on the tenth day, oh, you know what they can see in the distance? Ithaca. They can see Ithaca. It's right there. And I mean, Odysseus has manned the sail this whole time because he's doing as Iolus told him, and he's being really careful with that bag of winds. But, you know, after that nine days, he just can't keep his eyes open any longer, and he falls asleep. Now, his men are envious of that bag that Iolus gave him um, because they don't know what's in it. So it's got to be gold or jewels or it's got some sort of treasure in it clearly and so while Odysseus sleeps they open it uh yeah letting out all of the winds at once which blows their ship all the way back to Iolia and once he realizes what has happened, Odysseus sheepishly goes back to Iolus and explains and asks if maybe he could get a replacement bag of winds. And no way, Iolus says. You are clearly cursed, and I want nothing more to do with you. Which means they no longer have any wind to help them get home. It is much slower going. They sail for six days, and by sail, I mean row, (laughs) and finally land on Lamos, where the Lystragonians live. 
it's a good place for a rest. The bay, um, it's shaped like a horseshoe. So it's got a narrow, na- very narrow opening, and but it's nice big harbor once you get through this rocky opening. Um, so it's a very safe, it's very sheltered from, from storms and from the sea. Um, so they, you know, they, they rest there in that bay. Um, and of course they need to, to take the chance to do a little exploring. Um, so Odysseus sends three men out as scouts. Um, they uh, find a road and a settlement, and they meet um, Antiphates' daughter. And they ask her about this place, you know, who rules it and so on. And she doesn't really say much, but she points them to her father's house. And uh, it's a little bit like when Jack climbs up the beanstalk. There's a big, tall, terrible giant at the door. But it's a big, tall, terrible lady giant who calls for her husband who immediately eats one of the scouts. The other two run away screaming. The giant Lystragonians hurl boulders at the ships and that nice safe harbor turns out to be not so much. Um, The ship that was docked closest to that entrance is the only one to escape and that of course is Odysseus's ship. Um, So his fleet down to one boat. Everyone else is gone. Um, that one ship makes to makes it to Aiaia, where Kirki lives. She is the daughter of Helios and Perse, and sister to Aietes, all of whom Homer's ancient audience were aware. Odysseus and his men find a safe place to lay anchor. For real this time, no cannibalistic giants to be seen. They rest and mourn for two days. On the third morning, Odysseus climbs to a rocky point near the ship. He can see the smoke from Kirky's home, but decides that he should care for his men before he goes exploring. On his way back to the ship, he bags a buck and carries it back with him for breakfast. He tells his men about the smoke that he saw. No one wants to investigate, um, but someone has to. So he splits the group in two, one under his command and one under the command of Eurylochus. Then they draw lots. Eurylochus draws the short straw and sullenly leads his men off to explore. 22 men go and 22 men stay. That's all the men that are left of the entire fleet that Odysseus left Troy with. The scouts find Kirky's house. It's a disconcerting place surrounded by wolves and mountain lions who lay around as tame as lap dogs. The men go to the door. They can see Kirky at her loom singing as she weaves. They hesitate to cross the threshold but Polides finally speaks up saying there's no reason to fear a weaver be she goddess or mortal. At that, they all rush inside, except for Eurylochus, who smells a rat or some other mammal. (laughs) Kirky smiles sweetly at her guests and feeds them cheese and barley and honeyed wine with a little something special in it. And the men enjoy this meal, and then they turn into pigs. She drives them out into the sty and tosses some fodder for them to eat before going back to her weaving. Eurylochus hightails it back to the ship. He tells Odysseus what they found and what has happened to their companions. Odysseus slings his sword on his shoulder and tells Eurylochus to lead the way, to which Eurylochus responds with a resounding, hell no. Odysseus rolls his eyes and sets off alone. He's not alone for long. 
Hermes soon joins him on the path and sings a little song. He warns Odysseus that if he goes to Kirky's Hall, he'll never leave. But if he takes this flower called Molu, that will protect him from Kirky's magic. And she'll sleep with him, too, and do whatever he asks. And with that, Hermes picks the flower, hands it to Odysseus, and flies off. Odysseus follows Hermes' instructions. He slips the flower into the drink Kirky gives him. She tries to turn him into a pig, but instead he draws his sword on her. She figures out who he is. Only Odysseus would be clever enough to counteract her charms, even though it was really because Hermes told him what to do. She suggests that they go to bed. He says he only will if she swears to turn his men back into humans and that she won't do it again. She swears, and they go off to her room. The nymphs who attend her prepare a feast and a bath for Odysseus. He enjoys the bath, but refuses to eat until Kirky follows through on her promise. The men are relieved to be back in their human form. Kirky suggests they all stay for a while. Odysseus agrees and goes back to his ship to invite the rest of the men to join them, after they fully dock the ship, of course. Eurylochus isn't so sure that this is a good idea. Look at what happened with Polyphemus and the Lystragonians. But when everyone else decides to go, Eurylochus goes too, rather than be left alone with the ship. They stay for a while. A year, actually, during which they feast, and Odysseus sleeps with Kirky, and they feast some more. But then they start getting restless. Um, this makes me think of The Good Place, and I don't want to spoil anything. But if you've watched the entire series, I think you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, they start getting restless. So Odysseus goes to Kirky and tells her that it's time for them to leave. She tells them that he needs to go to the home of death and Persephone. There he is to speak to the shade of Tiresias. You know Tiresias from the Oedipus plays. She gives him detailed instructions on how to sacrifice in a way that will allow the ghosts to recognize him and speak to him. In the morning, they dress, and Odysseus wakes his men and tells them that it's time they were off. All except Elpinor, the youngest of the crew. He had climbed onto the roof to sleep in the cool night air, and he forgot that was where he was when he woke up, and he fell to his death. But the crew doesn't realize this as they gather on board. Clearly, they never learned about the buddy system. Odysseus tells them that they must go to the land of the dead before they travel on to Ithaca. The crew groans. But what can they do? Kirky is a goddess, and she's demanded that. She's even provided the ram and you for the sacrifice before disappearing into the air because goddesses they can do that kind of thing and that is where book 10 ends the first time i read the odyssey was for this advanced placement writing literature workshop class thing um, if you're from Kalamazoo um, or the Kalamazoo area, you've probably heard of ATIP. Um, if you're not, then that means absolutely nothing to you. <laughs> but that's what it was. I was one of those ATIP kids. Um, anyway, there was one class where our teacher divided us into groups and assigned one book of the Odyssey to analyze to each group. Um, and then we were supposed to share what we'd come up with with the rest of the class. And my group got book 10 trying to remember who was in my group I think Ursula was um can't remember I don't I can't remember if Smith or Brigitte were um 
I think Emily might have been. I don't remember. Anyway, if any of my ATIP classmates listen, pop over to the blog and let me know which book your group got to analyze, assuming you remember. Um, (laughs) I'm just curious. Um, But I I know that my group had book 10 because we did give it some serious discussion. Um, But when Scott, our awesome instructor, asked us what we'd decided book 10 teaches, we said quite simply that clearly the lesson it teaches is that men are pigs. You can see why I remember that day in class, why I know we had book 10. Um, what I find frustrating about the depiction of Cookie in this book is that it's so one-sided. I mean, the majority of the Odyssey is a first-person account, so it is all one-sided. Um, but I've, I've never understood her motivations. Um, now... Maybe you've read Madeline Miller's Circe. I have. It merits an episode all unto itself. I um, I have feelings about Miller's books. The Song of Achilles needs its own episode too. Um, Miller does provide motivation for Kirky. I'm not sure I agree with the story that she tells. Um, I don't believe there are any primary sources that include the motivation she provides. And frankly, we're here today to talk simply about the Odyssey. So we have no motivation for her, right? Because what we have is what Odysseus tells us. Um, Kirky's Island and Calypso's are very similar in how they blend nature and civilization. Um, but the difference between the two is is largely in the women who inhabit them. They are both immortal, but Kirky is a witch, and she does witchy things. Um, She turns men into animals, maybe into their basest forms. Does she choose to turn Odysseus's men into swine, or do they turn into swine as opposed to, say, lions, because that's who they are at heart? I mean, one thing that you can kind of presume is that all of the animals on her island did not start out that way. So those tame mountain lions and wolves, are they mountain lions and wolves that she has tamed? Or are they men who were turned into mountain lions and wolves? Um, so is that is that why they're swine? Because they are kind of pigs. <laughs> Um, in a way, she tames the men by turning them into a wild thing. Okay, I know they're domesticated swine, so maybe I should say that they are turned from civilized men into creatures of nature. Um, but then Odysseus shows up, and he, in turn, tames Kirky. He civilizes her. He has this 12-month fling with her that could be considered a pseudo-marriage, right? Um, She does wifey things when he is there. Um, And this is what I don't like about Odysseus. He goes on and on about how much he misses home and his wife, but there's barely a goddess he comes across that he doesn't sleep with on his way home. And like I said in the episode about Book 9, I'm not sure how much we can trust him. And trust is something that stood out to me on this rereading of Book 10. 
there is a significant lack of trust between Odysseus and his men. If he'd told them what was in the bag from Iolus, they might have made it back to Ithaca, only having lost a few dozen men. But Odysseus doesn't trust them. On the other hand, what does he do to make his men trust him? He's sneaky and secretive and regularly leads them to their deaths. I'm with Eurylochus. I'd be hanging back outside of Kirky's house too. So, what do you think? Do you trust Odysseus? Do you like Odysseus? Please come and share your thoughts over on the blog, triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Monday, we have a very odd play um, by Plautus. Persa, um, talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.